Didn't Jordan and Emily and them do a great job on that song? How many of you remember that song? I have the album. It was my great-grandfather's. I was way too young for that. It came out in 1978. But isn't that an interesting song? It was written by a guy named Kerry Lefger. And in fact, he was the uh, lead singer of Kansas. Uh, you can tell he was a 70s rocker. He wrote that before he was a Christian. And he said that's how he felt like life was. That it was purposeless, that it was meaningless, that we're here for a while, and then we just disappear. We're dust in the wind. Well, I've got some fantastic news for you this morning. That does not have to be the case at all. Unfortunately, that is the case with a lot of people. But we're beginning a sermon series this Sunday on your greatest discovery. And what that is, it's finding God's will for your life. The next five or six Sundays... We're going to be looking at how do we find out what God wants us to do. Where does God want us to be? Who does he want us to marry? What does he want us to do with our career? Does he want us to stay in Ruston? Does he want us to move? Does he want us to invest our money or our time in this situation or that situation? Here's what I believe with all my heart from experience, that the most important thing is becoming a Christian. And then after that, if you can learn to pray and read your Bible, and you get plugged into a good church, the next thing in that is is going through life, finding and discovering what God's plan is for you, and then doing it. Because if you don't find God's will for your life, and you don't do God's will for your life, I'm telling you, you're going to die someday, and it's going to all be wasted, dust in the wind. But the great news is, is that God has plans for us, and He wants us to find those. We're going to look this morning at the foundations of this. We're going to look at a lot of different scriptures, so I don't have one primary text. So you can write these down, or you can, if you've got a Bible and you're quick with it, you can flip or do whatever and follow with us. But here's the first big thought this morning, and this is a foundation uh, of, of everything we're going to talk about. You are a special creation of God. Folks, God created you. You're not here by accident. You're not illegitimate. God created you, and that is an extremely important part of understanding God's will for your life. In Genesis chapter 1, Genesis is the easiest book in the Bible to find after Revelation because it is the first book in the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, listen to what these verses say. Then God said, let us make man in our image. In our likeness, you see the Trinity right off the bat, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the plural. Let us make man in our image. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Wow. Now, folks, I want to tell you, this is exciting stuff. Image and likeness are synonyms, so don't try to split those too much. It just means the resemblance or the model or the pattern for you and me is God. God created humanity on the sixth day, and we were the cream of his creation. There's two primary views about creation, about, at least about man and the creation of man and humanity. The first is this. God made man... He looked at man and he said, "Uh uh-oh, I need to try another one. And he made woman and he was pleased with his model. 
The other view is God made man, then he made woman, and God nor man have rested since woman was made. Okay, let's talk about hell this morning since you guys are not in very good humor. I think that's funny, and I won't share with you what my thought is on that. But here is something awesome. The word created in Genesis 1, it, it means a brand new creation. It means God didn't use anything but dirt to make humans. Now, that's a little bit humbling. But God didn't, God didn't grab a monkey and say, let's make a few adjustments, and then poof, now we'll have human. I had this arrogant scientist in Texas years ago tell me, and he went, he went professor on me. He said, Pastor... He said, there's only one chromosome that separates the monkey from the man. And I said, well, it must be a pretty significant chromosome because we aren't monkeys. Folks, you you didn't evolve from cheetah or Caesar on Planet of the Apes. When God made man, it says God made a brand new creation. And the cool thing, it says the pattern or the model that God used was God himself. Are you beginning to see that you matter that you're significant? I don't believe God made anybody just to live for a while and then he's going to throw you away to hell for eternity. God made you in his image. When God said, let me make you, the pattern I'm going to use is me, is God himself. That is huge. Now, what does that mean? Made in the image of God. When I was in college, I became a Christian. And I started reading this, and I thought, wow, we're made in the image of God. And I'd walk around campus, and I'd go, man, that person looks weird. God must be weird. And people were looking at me going, he's weird. God must be weird. But the image of God's not blonde hair, blue eyes, white skin, black skin. The image of God, what, what is, I want to give you four primary things. Now, certainly it'd be much more involved than this, but these are four fundamental things. When you talk about the image of God, what it means you're creating the image of God, Here's the first thing. You have an intelligent, rational mind. Now, this doesn't mean you use it often, but you have it. A healthy person has an ability to think that animals do not have or man, other, other mammals don't have the ability to, to do at, at our level. I was watching the Discovery Channel one time. And if you're watching the Discovery Channel, History Channel, and I love those channels, but watch them with a filter. And when they start talking about the Bible, turn to something else because a lot they're so goofy a lot of times. They get someone to tell you about the Bible who doesn't believe the Bible. Isn't that crazy? That's like I'm going to get someone to tell me about Halloween who doesn't believe in Halloween. I mean, it's just crazy. But this, they had this marine biologist, and he's going professor on it. And he says, whales, whales, whales are superior to humans. I, that made me put my cupcake down and stop and listen. And he said, whales have been on this earth 70 million years. And I thought, how in the world? Do whales have rings around them and they count them? You know, 69 million, 70. I mean, how, you know, where he's just pulling out a number out of the air, 70 million. And then he says this, whales are so far superior to humans. No whale has ever started a world war. I'm screaming at the TV because they're too dumb to start a world war. Folks, you've got to be evil and malicious and wicked, but there takes some ability mentally to get a world war going, correct? And the fish are too dumb to pull that off. You've got a mind, an intellectual mind, in the image of God that no other part of creation does. Here's the second thing. You have a conscious self-awareness. Again, a healthy person does. 
healthy mentally, emotionally, has a conscious self-awareness. In other words, you, you know today who you are. You're sitting in First Baptist. You're hearing a mediocre sermon. You heard a great special music. You, you're aware of that. I love my dogs. How many of you love your pets if you have pets? How many of you think your pets understand when you talk to them? All of us do, or either we're crazy because all of us talk to them, don't we? And, and at my house, the dogs have it great. I have a king-size bed, and the wife sleeps on one corner, and I sleep on one corner, and the two boxers get the rest of the bed. <laughs> They're spread out. But let me tell you, my dogs are not sitting at home this morning going, Wow, there's NFL games on today. And I just love Chris and Cindy. They are so awesome. And, and you know, I love Rustin in this cool weather. You know, they're just sitting at home staring at stuff, breathing is what they're doing. Now, <laughs> now, they like us. They love us. But they don't have the same conscious awareness that you and I have. Here's the third thing, a moral awareness. God gave us a, a, a moral capacity that other animals don't have. How many of you have ever been around cattle? cattle. If you haven't, I'll give you a little lesson. Bulls are the men. Heifers are the chicks, okay? And if you, and bulls, bulls, you normally have one or two bulls and you'll have 20 heifers, 20 or 30. You have a lot of heifers per bull. And I have never heard a bull, and I've been around them, I've never heard a bull come up to the farmer and go, excuse me, uh, can I have a dip of your snuff? And by the way, I want to talk to you about something. I only want one heifer. Uh, you know, morally, I think it's improper for me to have 20 heifers. I just want one heifer. You know why? Because they don't have, not that we exercise this moral capacity like we should, but we have a moral awareness that the rest of creation doesn't have. And the last thing, we have a capacity to relate to God that, that no other part of creation has. Do I believe there will be animals in heaven? Absolutely. But do I believe that humans have an ability to relate to God that no other part of creation has? Yes. I've never been in the woods, and I've heard trees singing praise choruses. And I told them in the first service, the older trees, they were singing hymns, the younger trees, praise choruses. I've never heard that. I've never, I've never seen horses eat and then kneel down before at the trough. God, thank you for these oats. We, you know, it's going to be great. Because we have a unique capacity to relate to God like no other part of creation. See, that's the image of God. If you leave here with nothing else this morning, I want you to leave here with this. You are super special because God created you. Psalms 139, I want you to look at these verses with me. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. That's the womb. Your eyes saw my, un, my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. Finding God's plan for your life begins with this, that you're not here by accident, that you are a creation of God and you are special. So that brings us to the second thing. God has great plans for your life. Now, folks, I'm not just throwing that out there as a, as a cookie to you, as a, you know, okay, you know, I'm trying to give you a health and wealth message. I'm telling you the truth. God has great plans for your life. Now, because someone has plans for you does not mean it's good or it's great. When I was growing up, every Saturday we worked for my dad. 
And he would get us up early, and he'd have a list. He'd have a list of all the things we had to do. He had our day planned out. A lot of times it was miserable, it was uncomfortable, got calluses on our hands, we lost sleep, and we made a few measly bucks. His plans were not always great plans. Some of you got plans today that they're not tuned into God. You got plans. You may have PhD, but you know PhD is nothing to God. As far as his intellect. So when I tell you God has plans for your life, that's what we want to get a hold of in these next few weeks. God has them, and how do we discover them? But let's look at the fact God has great plans. In, in Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11 is our memory verse for this month at First Baptist. So get a jump on it. Great verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Leave that up there for just a little bit, please, guys. Let me give you the background of this verse, then we'll look at some words in it. The, the, the context of every scripture is important. The context of this is huge. The Jewish people had blown it. They were in trouble. They'd sinned and God punished them. Listen, God... God still is able to smite today just like he's always been able to. And so they found themselves, they find themselves captive prisoners in Babylon at this point. And there's false prophets that are telling them, hey, everything's going to be great. You're going to get out soon. Everything's going to be good. And Jeremiah steps up, and Jeremiah has a true word from God. And here's what Jeremiah says. You've blown it, and you're in trouble, and you're going to be there 70 years. Wow. Some of us this morning, especially some of us older people, we're in Babylon by our own doing. But man, here's a great word. Jeremiah said, God hadn't forgotten you. Even if you're laying in a hole that you dug, God has not forgotten you. And God has plans for your life. When my father died, suddenly, my mother was in her mid-60s. They'd been married for years, and he, he d- took care of everything. She didn't work. She didn't take care of the checkbook. I mean, it was the Cleaver household, basically. And she was lost. And I remember her telling me over and over and over, asking me, does God still have a plan for my life, a purpose for my life? And I want to tell you, if you're 65, 75, or 85 in here this morning, God still has a plan for your life. Let's look at this verse. I know the plans I have for you. The word know there is a Hebrew word of intimacy. In other words, God says, listen, I know you, by the way, remember I created you, and intimately I know what I want to do with your life. I know the plans. I know my thoughts, my purpose. And and you see in the end of the verse, he says, my plans are not to harm you. The word harm there means evil or inferior. It means hurtful or unpleasant. Please listen to this. God's plans for your life are not bad. They may be hard. They may be difficult to pull them off. But they're not evil. Now, here's the next word. If you're taking notes, you've got to write this down. The word prosper. What does that mean? Does this mean God's plan is to to give you a Cadillac and a, a, a Mercedes and Rolex? 
And millions of dollars, that is not what that word means at all. But it's a tremendous word. I tell you, it has a better connotation than all the wealth you could have. It's the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. When Cindy and I, my wife and I, were in, in Israel last year, every time we would pass by Jewish people who would greet each other, they would say shalom. When they were leaving each other, they would say shalom. We thought, well, shalom just means peace. No, it's a, it's a lot richer than just peace. It means wholeness and harmony and completeness and peace. Listen, God's plans for your life are plans that bring harmony in your life. They bring peace and completeness and soundness. Just the opposite of that, listen, you can go your own way. And you can be in church every Sunday and you can be flat dab out of God's will. You can marry the wrong person. You can get out of your marriage when you shouldn't. You can take the wrong jobs because you're chasing the dollar more than you're chasing Jesus. You can decide that you're going to move halfway across the world to get away from everybody and be out of God's will. Or you can decide, I'm going to live next door to Mama and never move and be right out of God's will. And, And you know what? You can be religious and you can be wealthy and you can be flat out miserable. But God says, I've got plans for you that bring peace and harmony and joy to your life. How many of you want that? If you're not, you have a low IQ. I understand. I do too. I've got great plans for you. Listen, this is the foundation. God created you. You're not an accident. And God has plans for your life. Plans is plural. Now, here's the third thing, the foundation thing that brings it together, and it's very, very important. God's plans are wrapped up in your relationship to Christ. I'm going to explain that a little bit more. But what that means is that you cannot separate your relationship with Christ with finding God's will for your life. Many people try to do that. I want to know what God wants me to do. Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I... Should I move? Should I stay? Should I go to this college? Should I join this church? And we try to do a lot of that on our own or outside of our relationship to Christ. Listen, God created you. And God's will, we're going to look again the next few weeks, how do we discover God's will for life? We're going we're to walk through things that you can use, I mean, the rest of your life on how to discover God's will. But you cannot bypass this. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. That word called means God is inviting you. God is giving you a personal invitation into fellowship. That's a a great Greek word, koinonia, which means participation with and enjoyment with and fellowship with, with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen, here's what God's saying. God's saying, my first plan for your life is that you know me and that you do life with me, that you are intimate with me. I want you to think about this. See, a lot of us have been in church, and we're just, ah, yeah, I've heard this, whatever, this is good. No, this is more than good. How many of you have a hero? Good grief. How many of you ever had a hero in your life? Bunch of sissies. 
Okay, I grew up having heroes. Two of my heroes were, were Dick Buckus and Jack Lambert. How many of you know who those guys are? Those were really great football players. I'm telling you today, if either one of them called me and said, Hey, Chris, what's going on? I'd faint. Then I'd be giddy as a, like a third-grade girl. And they said, Hey, you know what? I want to be your pal. Here's my cell number. Here's where I live. Why don't you come up and hang out with me? By the way, I've got money, and I can help you financially. I'd be good, too. But I, I, want, I want to be involved in your life, and I want you to be involved in my life, and we're going to do life together. That'd be awesome. That's what God's saying. God who created everything is saying, I created you. I know how many hairs are on your head. I have plans for your life. And listen, the plans I have for you are wrapped up, first and foremost, in your relationship with me. So let's start with us as Christians. Christian, this is real important. This is real important. Again, you say, oh, God, what do I do? What do I major in, God? What do I do as a career? What, what, what's your will for my life? And if that's not a burning passion on your, on your radar, you are way off base. That ought to be something that drives you. But a lot of Christians are trying to skip over their relationship to Christ. In, in Psalms 37, 4, listen to what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight for, for men may sound sissy, but delight just means mean that you're in love with Jesus, that you, you find your life in Jesus, your fulfillment in him. And he says, when you, first and foremost, when you are finding yourself in me, that's when I begin to reveal to you and give you the things you want. Proverbs 3, 6 says this, In all your ways submit to him. God, what do I do with my career? What do I do on a marriage? God, what do I do with my finances? Do I move? Do I take this job? Do I start this business? Submit everything to him, and he will make your path straight. He will show you what you should do. Listen, a lot of us as Christians, again, we're, we've, we're either skipping over this or for some reason we're missing this. Finding God's will for your life, Christian, starts and continues in a dynamic living relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're going to hear his voice, you've got to be close to him. And here's the last part of this. It begins at salvation. Now, with this many people in the room, there's no doubt some of us have missed this. You say, oh God, what do you want me to do? What's your will for my life? It starts with you giving your life to him. John 8, 47 is a scary verse. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is you don't belong to God. Listen, if you're honest with yourself, there's people in this room today, the truth is you've never heard from God. You, you read your Bible and it's dull. You pray and nothing happens. You come to church, you never like the music, you never like the preaching, and it's always someone else's fault. The bottom line is, if you've never heard from God, it's because you don't know God. When I was a little boy, I, I went down in a, in a revival. I was nine years old. I got baptized. I cried. I think I was ready, but nobody really explained to me what I was doing. They just 
signed a card and patted me on the head, said, you're a Christian. So the next 10 years, if you'd have asked me if I was a Christian, I'd have said, sure, but I, I lived exactly how I wanted to live. When I was 19, one Sunday night, I went to church with one of my sisters. I was hungover. I didn't want to be there, but I lived at home, and my parents' rule was, if you live at home, you're going to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. So I'm sitting in the back of the church. I didn't want to be there, and the preacher, he's preaching, he's preaching this easy sermon. He doesn't get loud or anything, but it's about finding God's will for your life, and I realize as he's preaching, God's first will is that you're saved. That's first base. And I'd miss first base. And when I walked out that night, I knew that if I died, I was going to hell. That, that God's will, and my little understanding of the Bible and theology, I understood God's will started with having a relationship with Him. That's what led me the next night to give my life to Christ. If you're not a Christian, you can't find God's will for your, your career, your future, your mate, and all that until you give Christ your life. It starts there. The song we heard earlier, Carrie Lefgren, Dust in the Wind. Go home this afternoon, listen to it, read the words to it. They, it's a great song, but it's very depressing. And it was written by a guy who was not a Christian, who had money, who had fame, I'm sure had the best parties and the women, but he said, life is purposeless for me. And you know the awesome thing that happened? A few months later, that guy became a Christian. And in the last 30 years, what he's done with his life is he's tried to glorify and lift up Jesus. And I, I guarantee you, if we had him here today and we said, Carrie, is life just dust in the wind? He would say, without Christ, yes. But when you find Christ and you live for Christ, God's got a purpose for you and a plan for you that will make your life valuable for him and for eternity. Is that what you'll choose today? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, our challenge is, is will we get in the right spot with Christ and will we follow Him the rest of our lives? If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, would you give your life to Christ today? Would you pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I accept your God's Son and that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning and save me today. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a moment. And when we do, here's my challenge to you. If you just ask Christ in your heart or you're ready to do it, when we stand, would you make a hard decision but a great decision? Would you come today, let one of our ministers help you down front and, and solidify that deal with Christ? Maybe you're here today and God's will is for you to join this church. Today's a great day to do it. One way you can do it when we stand is you can come. One of our ministers will help you with that.
the rest of us here who are Christians, maybe where you're standing or maybe at the altar today, you need to repent and you need to say, God, I've been leaving you out. And I make you Lord again in my life. But every Christian in here, all of us needs to say to Christ today, Jesus, the rest of my life, I'm going to seek your will. And I'm going to seek to obey your will. Because that's where I'll prosper. Let's stand. And as just bow your, bow your heads and close your eyes as the music's playing. You come this morning. We'll be down here waiting on you.